if you have a decision, like if somebody does, like invites you to do something, like just default to saying yes if it will make a good story. You're listening to Audio Life. We're your hosts today, Carrie Purcell and Gafur Masood. This is the podcast where we tell your story in your words. And I'm super excited for our conversation today with Derek Martin. Derek, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. I, I'm glad for you to meet Gafur today as well. This conversation is just going to be a chance for us to talk about some of your favorite stories. So let's get started. Straight off the bat, Derek, if you were to share one story with the world, which would it be and why? Wow. He only gets to pick one. <laughs> In this case, we're just going right there. Yeah. One story. <laughs> okay, so I'll start with one that's um, just kind of made me question reality, and it doesn't involve any drugs. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was 2009, I think. I was out in the high desert of Colorado with uh, a man named Dr. Stephen Greer um, and a bunch of other people who do meditations and try to initiate contact with UFOs. Um, oh. Yeah, so this is called Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, or CD5. And you essentially do it by concentrating and, like, visualizing where you are on planet Earth. And you kind of zoom out into, like, so that you're way in space looking at planet Earth and then zoom back in. And even from beyond the Milky Way galaxy, you're zooming into, like, this planet over from the sun to what area of the planet you're on. And you're kind of trying to share that thought as, like, a visual map of how to get where you are. This is the middle of nowhere. Like... You can turn around 360 degrees and you all you see is horizon. And it's also super cold because there's no vegetation to retain the heat. Mm -hmm. um, even being a Canadian, I was colder there than I have ever been um, in winter here. It was unbelievable. And we're sitting there, you know, we've seen some lights doing curious things. Something you're supposed to do is verbalize anytime you see or think you see anything that's weird. You know, consciously, I had that in my mind, but it's pitch black. It's like two o'clock in the morning. There's not even any roads or lights or anything anywhere. And just for like a split second, I thought I saw the silhouette of a, of a balcony with a silhouette of a person on the balcony about 12 feet off the ground. And it was so fast. I was like, now nah, that had to be like a, somebody's flashlight hitting a cactus, causing a shot, like, you know. Your brain just yeah. goes, ah, that's nothing. Like like when yeah. you hear a creak in your house at night, you're like, you don't even think about it. Two seconds later, this lady, two people down in the circle from me, just says, hey, I think we're inside like a partially materialized UFO right now because I see a balcony with a bunch of beings on it staring down at us. My, mind, blown. mind was completely blown. It's like you just daydream something at work and your buddy goes, hey, did you just think about this? Like, what? <laughs> No, you can't do that. Um, so then I piped up and said, actually, I just saw that a second ago, but I thought it was my mind playing tricks on me. And Greer was like, I told you, you've got to verbalize when you see anything or think you might have seen something, because now you just confirmed what she was saying. And she was probably thinking she was crazy before she said it. But because you confirmed it now, it worked out. But if you had held your tongue, you know, she would never know if anybody else felt that or not. And so it was a moment for me where I was definitely like, I just had something that I thought was my imagination completely confirmed by somebody else virtually instantaneously. 
I'm not, so I'm still not fully sure what that means and what the implications are, but it definitely has something to do with the world we live in not being totally as it seems. And I think that's a, that's a common thread that, that runs through my life and a lot of my stories. Things look normal or seem normal, but if you just pull back the sheets a little bit, it's like, it's all of a sudden really weird. That's wild. I don't know, Gafor, if you want to pick up on that or I can jump in. I'll be honest. I'm not sure if I'm ready to have received that story. Um, I wish I never asked that question at the beginning. Uh, I'm having a little bit of an existential crisis and a, and a little bit of a meltdown. I just, I feel like there's so much there and I have like, I have a hundred follow-up questions. I'll ask maybe like two of them. What experiences did you have that took you to that retreat? And also the woman who like shared your vision, did you keep in touch with her? Did you talk to her about it? Like, I think we exchanged a few email after that. And we did talk about it at, during the rest of that retreat. We were out there for seven days, um, staying at a, yeah. at a little motel in the nearby town of Crestone. You know, we chatted about the fact that it, that, no, really, you have to verbalize everything, um, yeah. no matter how crazy you feel. Um, I've always been interested in all kinds of paranormal, supernatural, weird, strange stuff, um, as far back as I can uh, remember. I'll say in on the like UFO front, um, we used to go to stay at a cottage on Lake Huron every summer, um, we, which we rented the cottage, but every year for like 40 years. You know, occasionally we would see weird lights in the sky that would like, a right angle turn it's like well the satellite can't do right angle turns that's and neither complains if they're going fast enough right or, or the, otherwise the pilot gets smushed by g-forces um <laughs> or we would see things that look like they're kind of floating on the water and then they just go straight up so i was intrigued by that one day my dad was driving home from the cottage he up on the road ahead there's a little town you have to drive through to get back to where my house was um so he was approaching that town and he saw a huge object above the road. So he kept driving forward because he's got to go down that road until he was like under this thing. So he pulled over and rolled down his window because it was like a crank window. And yeah. um, just looked out of his window like, what the heck? And it was a huge black triangle about the size of a football field. Um, completely silent, uh, you know, about 400 feet above his truck. And there was a light on each corner of the triangle. And... Um, like, my dad is not into UFOs or anything. He was a Bell Telephone technician. Like, he literally worked on analog stuff and was very handy, uh, is very handy. Yeah. So this there's in the middle of the triangle, there's a red glowing light, like a, an orb. And it detached from the triangle and started spiraling down towards his truck. And that's when he pretty much noped out and <laughs> just said, nope. <laughs> Lord, it, it came home. Um, but he came running in the house and was like, get the binoculars, get the telescope, like get out here, get out in the yard. So we got this stuff and we went out in the yard and we could see it like over the nearby town because it was big enough to see, you know, about a minute or two later, two fighter jets came in uh, to try and intercept this thing. And it just took off like in the blink of an eye, it was gone over the horizon. And the two fighter jets just kind of circled the area once and then went back the way they came. They were like, well, we, we're not catching that. So, so that was crazy. And then the other big thing was one night I was sleeping in my, in my room where I had my head kind of like the window was beside my head. So I couldn't see out the window laying down, but um, outside that window, there was, the roof of our kitchen was kind of below my window. And then there's a huge maple tree and then a barn and forest. 
And uh, so there's nothing back there, no roads, no anything. And the, the huge maple tree blocked most of the view too. Anyway, I woke up in the middle of the night and my entire room was flooded in bright white light, like blinding white light. And I remember getting up and going to the window and opening the curtain or the blind and just looking at it. And I couldn't see anything out the window except bright white light. Um, mm. And my, my nature is very curious. Even today, like if I see something, a weird light at night, I like turn down the side road to go follow it and see, like, wonder what that is, right? But this time I just remember thinking to myself, I should go back to sleep now. And I just turned and went and got back into my bed. Not long after that, I saw the cover of a book called Communion by Whitley Strieber, and it has the face of a gray alien on the front with the almond eyes and stuff. And I remember being completely terrified by that picture, um, which uh, now, in retrospect, I kind of connect with that event. But I don't remember anything about the light. I just know that that fear started around that time. And I didn't mention this to my parents ever. But yeah. um, I'm 46 now, and when I was 40... Uh, my wife and I were hanging out with my mom at the family cottage and just talking about stuff. And I was like, oh, one time when I was like sometime between 10 or maybe 13 years old, this happened. And my mom goes, that happened to your dad and me, too. And I was like, what? Ooh. And she goes, yeah, your dad was walking down the hallway um, downstairs. And there's a window on the right side. And um, he said, like, Rebecca, come here. Look at this. And she goes over and they're both looking out the window and there's just bright blinding white light coming in the window. And then uh, he turned to my mom and said, I think we should go to sleep now. And she goes, yep. And they just went straight upstairs and to sleep. And wow. that was another one of those like, what the heck? That's so weird. Okay. So I was, I was totally going to ask you if people thought it was just a dream, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I had this experience. It's not the same. And, and apparently it's like, it's medically a thing that can happen. So I had this experience where I woke up in bed and I heard my brother and dad come home. And I think they had like, they had been, it was late. They had been out at some hockey game or something. I heard them come home, but I realized, and I like tried to call out to them. I could like, my door was open just this much. I could, I could see the light. I could see movement. And when I would try to call out to them, I realized I couldn't speak. Mm -hmm. And then I realized I couldn't move, mm -hmm. but everything they were saying and I knew what I knew where they had been when you know I didn't see the clock but like roughly when they came in and then whatever I fell back asleep and so I told people about it the next day and everyone was like well you were dreaming and I was like well like I wasn't like what time did you come you talked about this you walked here this is what happened and they were like yeah but you were probably dreaming yeah <laughs> and much later in life I it was confirmed to me that there's like that people have experienced that it's a medical thing it's like your mind wakes up before your body does your body's still asleep it's a totally a thing but the number of people that have told me like oh you're probably dreaming and I'm like I was not dreaming mm -hmm. anyway so that when you were telling that story I was like how many people were like you're dreaming I'm not saying you were but right. like yeah it's called sleep paralysis the, the condition yeah. you experience yeah. um yeah. and there is a lot of debate about that in the UFO ET community of, of like was it were you just dreaming that aliens came into your room and the people are like, I was conscious. This was a real, like it felt so visceral, right? Um, yeah. And the sleep paralysis thing is definitely, it's real, you're awake, you just can't control your body and it can be terrifying. Um, yeah. And I, I would assume that if there were beings in the room that you didn't recognize, it would be way more terrifying. What makes this really kind of mind blowing is, so I've had a few sleep paralysis experiences myself and you know, they're closely linked to, you know, people talk about astral projection or out of body experiences and yeah. so on. 
But what makes this a real doozy is the fact that your parents had a very similar experience. And the thing that I can't quite get over is, you know, go back to sleep. You're, you're sleepy now. I must go back to sleep. And you mentioned earlier, you're a very inquisitive mind. When you see lights, you're very, you know, you want to see it. You want to check something out if it's interesting. So that's very uncharacteristic of you, right? Um, do you have any, do you have any thoughts about that? Like, was it cognitive perception being changed or do you have any ideas behind that? You know, the only thing I could posit at the time was that there was some kind of hypnotic suggestion or some kind of mind control going on that may have been, you know, maybe that could have been induced like just directly to the brain or maybe the white light had some effect that caused something like that. But for the wording to be so specific between me and my parents, that's quite strange. Recently, I've heard that the military does have some technology where they can, and this, mm. this sounds totally sci-fi and crazy, but um, they can make a voice in your head sound like your own voice and say whatever they want. They can make it sound like any voice, but um, so th there could be a situation where you think you're talking to yourself, but it's actually someone else speaking to you inside your head with your own voice. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it was the military doing it because who am I? I was nobody just living in the country <laughs> as a kid, but I'm saying if the military has that, then someone with more advanced technology, presumably that's not a big deal for them. Right. I think about the fact that I was, that I, was and am nobody in this field a lot it's like why would this stuff happen to me there's no other than the fact that i'm open to it there's yeah. there's not a real reason for that you know there's a lot of anecdotal um accounts of these kinds of things and this is probably my first time i'm not sure about carrie's hearing it directly and you know it just is mind-blowing because you it's very authentic you have no reason to have or you know say these things you know it's so have you or your parents, you know, when you ha you've experienced these things, have you tried to piece together the meaning behind it, why it might be, or you're just confused as I am right now? It's funny, you know, sometimes weird things happen and like people don't talk about them at all um, or not because they don't necessarily want to, but it, for some reason it never occurs to them. Like I've heard about people encountering something spooky or scary and like they're so scared in the moment that they don't talk about it on the way home and they just end up never talking about it. Right. Mm. And it's like, that's a very strange thing. Um, do they not want to, to think each other are crazy? Like they were there at the same time. They had the same experience. Like, why wouldn't you want to talk about it? Unless there is some sort of weird subconscious yeah. suggestion. Like this isn't something you want to really talk about. You know, I don't, it's very mysterious. Um, so no, I haven't asked my parents if they know about the meaning. My mom says she's had a conversation with ETs. Um, I don't have full details on this, but the part I do remember, um, I, I can ask her sometime, but um, she was kind of overloaded last time I started hitting her with questions. <laughs> but um, she remembers them saying, like, just don't worry about the future. If anything uh, horrible happens, you and your loved ones will be taken care of. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a powerful message. And, you know, somewhat reassuring if it's from, you know, a divine intelligence, an extraterrestrial intelligence, clearly something outside of this mm -hmm. realm, you know, um, powerful stuff. That was an interesting thing you just said, too, a divine or extraterrestrial intelligence. Um, there's a movement over the last couple of years to, to put all of these strange things under kind of one banner. 
Um, and there's a book out called Contact Modalities. There are some related books um, where they're talking about the similarities between like encounters with aliens, encounters with angels or demons, encounters with strange creatures. And there are tons and tons of similarities. And in fact, a lot of people think that ETs are actually demons. Like people who are highly religious just say, oh, ETs are not a thing, but these are demons from another realm. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's really interesting looking at some of the correlations between them. Like they can make you forget things, both of them. Um, they can, you know, sort of have you show up in another place for a little while and put you back and you might not necessarily remember it for years. Um, there's suggestions they can change their appearance and all kinds of things like that. And some are nice and some are mean, but that's just like people. I think if there are really, you know, friendly ETs or angels out there, then there are also going to be mean ones and things you might call demons. But most of them will probably fall in the middle. So super interesting. Yeah. And, and you know, it would explain a lot of things. And uh, I guess, you know, there's the ancient astronaut theory and, you know, reports back to a lot of these encounters and experiences. People are saying, well, is it just the cultural mythology and context and conditioning of the time that's labeled them as, as you said, angels, demons, prophets, you know, devils, whatever it might be? Could they all be encounters of aliens from another universe, mm -hmm. another galaxy, another place? It's just absolutely fascinating. You mentioned a story at the beginning, and I think just to unpack that a little bit. You mentioned you were in a partially materialized spacecraft. I mean, can we can we just get back to that? <laughs> I mean, yeah. there was about like, did you see um, physical forms that you can say that was there? Just for the briefest moment, all I saw was like, you know, basically a black outline of what would be like a railing, sort of up high, and then standing at the railing was like the outline of a human shaped thing. And I couldn't see, you know, there were no walls on the, the ship that I could see, but there was definitely a curved thing which suggested the room was round. We were sitting in a circle. Prior to that, we had been trying to contact um, through various meditation methods, but also various people in the group had um, devices that could detect changes in electromagnetic frequency or radio frequency, stuff like that. And um, they had been going off like kind of like crazy before this happened. They weren't making noise while that situation was going on. That kind of suggests that something either electromagnetically or radio frequency wise had changed while, while I had that experience. I'll, I'll tell another, I actually have a, a second story from that same week about a partially materialized UFO, um, <laughs> which of course, what are the odds? <laughs> but um, we went to sit on the side of a mountain also to look for UFOs because you get a good vantage point from there. And um, it was by the Sand Dunes National National Park um, in Colorado, and which looks like a desert. Like there's huge sand dunes that go on for miles, and you can't believe you're in, you know, North America in Colorado. But um, we got up there. Like we drove up this road up the mountain, and there's kind of a parking lot partway up. And we thought, okay, it's a gravel parking lot. We'll just park our vehicles down here, and then set up a circle of our chairs and stuff in this gravel parking lot. And um, there was a waterfall nearby and like very picturesque views and a really steep drop off um, with no railing and stuff. So we got up there and set up and this really, really thick fog came rolling in like out of nowhere. 
and it completely made it so that like you probably couldn't see your hand you know this far in front of your face but the fog did not come in inside our circle it stayed outside the circle perfectly <laughs> um like the ceiling was a fog, like kind of arched down. The walls arched down to the floor walls. And so this fog wasn't coming in the circle. And we're all like, this is weird. Like, this is pretty weird because we can't see outside the circle at all. And we heard footsteps walking on the gravel going around us. Um, but someone checked and like there was nobody there. We had these green laser pointers, which the thing about a green laser pointer is you can see the whole beam. So like mm -hmm. if we saw something in the sky, you could you could kind of draw where you see it. And other people could just look at your beam and say, oh, yeah, that's where he's pointing. Like, he sees a light right there. Um, so they, somebody turned on their laser pointer, and it hit the ceiling of this fog dome. And it went, you could see the beam hit the ceiling and go down the wall to the ground. I mean, lasers are not supposed to bend. And no. everyone's just staring at it like, what in the heck is going on? That is the craziest thing ever. Most people didn't have cameras or whatever because this was like one year after the iPhone with the camera came out. And so I haven't really found any footage of it. But yeah, we're all looking at this green laser hitting the ceiling of this and curving down. Somebody else said, does anyone notice anything else? Um, or Dr. Greer said that. And we're all looking at each other and we're like, not really, but I think this is pretty weird enough, right? Um, and then someone says, I can't hear anything. We're like, what? And everyone was quiet for a minute. We couldn't hear birds. We couldn't hear animals. We couldn't hear wind or trees. And we couldn't hear the waterfall that was like one or 200 meters away. Mm -hmm. Like it was dead silent in there. And this is, I later found out this is called the Oz effect. When, when all the sound around you dies and it's just mm -hmm. like nothing. And then after a few minutes, the fog rolled out and uh, about a half hour total. The fog rolled out and we could hear the waterfall again and all the sounds of everything were back. And we're just like, that's, that was crazy. And we're like, we don't know what that is, but maybe something was partially there. Not so much that we couldn't walk through it, but enough to keep fog and, and audio at bay. That's, that's not real. <laughs> like it seems like that can't be real. I heard those footsteps walking right behind me with my, my back was to the cliff actually. They'd have to walk very close to me to not fall off that cliff. Um, and so I heard those footsteps walk past me. Um, and they continued around the circle a couple times, and, but nobody was there. Um, but yeah, we, we could only hear each other talking, really, and nothing from outside. That's mind-blowing. You know, Dr. Stephen Greer is a, quite a controversial figure, but um, from your experience, it sounds like he's quite proficient, and it's maybe he's had countless of these encounters. Were you led to believe that this is something that regularly occurs at these uh, at these meetings out, out in Colorado? Well, I'll first finish answering Carrie's prior question about how did I get there, uh, and then I'll, I'll talk about that. Um, so I was into UFOs and stuff because of all these experiences I'd had with the white light and the cottage and, and stuff like that. One time I was just Googling Dr. Greer. Oh, I went to see him speak at, at something in Toronto in 2001, where he was talking about the disclosure project that he had done um, right around the time of 9-11. Uh, and uh, that kind of drowned out in the news. But I went to see him speak at U of T, and I had somehow finagled a media pass. 
And I tried to get to him to ask some questions and stuff, but he kind of saw through my facade and uh, <laughs> I didn't get to him. It's like, oh, not here. so he's very standoffish, both on TV and in, in media events like that. Like he's super formal, very guarded um, because he's had members of his team um, assaulted and attacked before. And he's had attempts on his life and stuff like that. So I was Googling him and I saw he had this some, this thing called the Ambassador to the Universe program, which is what it was called before it was called CE5 or Close Encounter in the Fifth Kind. So the idea was he would teach you how to be an ambassador for, yes, for Earthlings towards extraterrestrial intelligence, but also for extraterrestrial intelligence towards Earthlings. Like mm. he's spreading the word that they're not actually evil and they want to have peaceful contact and stuff like that. Because in all of his years, of initiating contact with them. He's never had anything bad happen through them. And I said, I, I got to go to one of these things. Like I have to go become an ambassador to the universe. It just sounds so cool. Um, and so, yeah, I applied and I, I paid the the money that you have to pay to go, which it's not cheap. Um, yeah. But he basically put that fee in so that, so that people who aren't serious about it don't go. There would be a lot of people who would be skeptical of something like that. And if you end up with jokers at a session like that, it's going to ruin it for everyone. So he made yeah. it pricey so that, you know, only people serious about it would go. Yeah. And in person, he is super friendly, um, very spiritual, which he also doesn't show in his media experiences. Mm. Um, and just a totally different person um, and very willing to share everything he knows and, and everything that's going on. Before you were asking, like, the idea was if other people, if it was common that other people had these experiences when they went out with him, is that? Oh, yeah. That was I'm just curious yeah. because he, he's a fascinating figure. He it's It divides a lot of people's opinions. You know, uh, is he peddling something? There's money involved. And I'm just trying to get to the bottom of this. Look, I, I out of everybody, wants there to be, you know, contact. I... I love aliens. I would love for them to be here. I'm not sure if they are. Yeah. For the first time, we've got somebody here in our podcast that's, you know, been directly involved. He's had experiences with, with, with Dr. Greer. Yeah. And I'm just trying to get Derek's authentic take on that. And it would seem that he's not the only one. He mentioned another lady in that experience that also seen this kind of materialization of beings. Yeah. Um, Dr. Greer commented on each of those encounters, do any of you guys notice the physics defying audio, the Oz effect and all of this? Like, so it would seem to me there's consistent and coherent events happening that he has been present with. And you were there witnessed that. I was right? there. Yeah. You know, and, and we were trying, like some of us were trying to figure out like, is there any possible way he could be hoaxing this stuff? You know, because we saw mm -hmm. what, what we thought was like a satellite going from horizon the horizon directly over our group. And we're right when it got directly over us, it stopped at satellite height, stopped, right? And shone a blue light on our little sitting circle. Like it didn't go outside the sitting circle. It just shone a light on us. And then it kept going. And we're like, what the heck is that? It's totally silent. It's not a helicopter. Like you couldn't hear anything. And we're just like, that's crazy. And then, when that fog rolled out, um, we actually saw a UFO landed on the side of the mountain about a mile away, but it was only visible with fourth generation military night vision, which only one person had. Okay, like, 
maybe this fourth generation military night vision has like a pre-recorded thing on it. So it's showing oh, yeah. us this UFO on that side of the mountain. And like he could convince us, you know, that that's what's going on because we couldn't confirm it with earlier generation night vision or with infrared or with binoculars or your eyes, nothing else could see it. Just this fourth general. Yeah. And then we're all looking at the screen of this little, little night vision. And he shines his green laser pointer over to where the UFO is on the mountain. And you see it in real time on this screen. So we're like, okay, that you can't fake that in real time. Not in 2009, not with a really expensive hardware and software to do some kind of compositing. Like he's circling where the UFO is and you see his laser at the exact same time on the screen going around the UFO. But when you look with your eyes, there's nothing there. And there's a little orange ball going between the UFO and the ground the whole time. It was like the classic saucer shape, but we'd have to get past the waterfall and the water there to get over to it. So we couldn't actually go over to it. Um, and I was just mentioning as far as the money goes, like, I think the money is there primarily as a barrier to, to jokers coming and like, yeah. just being like, Ooh, UFOs, aliens, blah, blah, blah. I think in the last year he took Demi Lovato out, um, who's, you know, a famous singer and she had encounters and she's now like, doing that as part of her kind of life mission is promoting contact um, and seeing what else she can find out. There were definitely people who have been there multiple times. Um, it gives a pretty steep discount to like repeat customers, if you want to call it that, but it's more like you're, you're part of the family at that point. Like you've already bought into it and like you're fully invested. So yeah. um, he already knows you're serious. So you don't have to pay that seriousness fee again. And yeah, he does make the movies and things, but I wouldn't suggest that he doesn't want to live comfortably because he was a doctor and he made a lot of money and um, you wouldn't want to see your standard of living go down too far, especially for your, your wife and kids and other things. Like you wouldn't want them to pay the price for your interests, let's say. Um, but I think most of it goes towards getting the word out more, um, teaching more people how to do this contact because the thing about the, the person initiated contact or human initiated contact is the military could stop like an organization from going out and holding a contact event. Right. But they can't stop me from going to the park three blocks from my house and sitting there and going like, come on aliens, look get down here. Right. Um, like it doesn't make any sense. So I'm part of a Facebook group for people from London who want to go out and do CE fives. And we go out sometimes and, and do them. And like, we see cool stuff and we catch some on camera and like it works without Greer there. You don't need it. His uh, CE5 contact app will walk you through all the steps that you need to do, and it gives you audio that helps and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm pretty bought in that he's that he's legit and he's working for for the betterment of humanity, really, because um, he doesn't want to see something happen where we do something stupid militarily and it causes the the visitors to be like. Mm. No, we can't stand by that, right? He's basically said that, a lot of people have said this, not just Greer, but the only way they will intervene in our existence as a civilization is if we're about to destroy the planet, basically. Right. If there's not going to be another opportunity for another generation to try and fix what's happened in the past, if we're about to nuke the whole world, um, they'll step in and just disable all the nukes and be like, uh-uh, nope, try again. Like, but right up until that point, um, it's kind of on us because just like parents with children, like you, you want them to learn on their own how to resolve these issues and how to grow. 
I like looking at it that way. It's like they don't want to give us a handout. Like we really need to figure this out at a at a societal level. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on that um, that kind of analogy to you know to to teaching younger generations and ask you, is there a memory or a story that you share with younger generations that you hope they'll remember? My kids, uh, I have a daughter or two daughters. Claire is seven and Abby is five, and they have a lot of trouble going to sleep and sleeping because there's monsters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and my wife gets super upset with me. Because she's not into any of this. And <laughs> she's like, girls, there are no monsters. And I'm like, well, kind of. But they kind of are, though. You're right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's a real kind of difficult situation when daddy believes in monsters and you're trying to get your kids to go to sleep. I'm just like, look. <laughs> yeah, I've seen ghosts. I've seen, uh, I think I've seen aliens. I've, I've been near other things that are scary, I think. Um, and none of them have hurt me. Like, that's the thing. Like, yeah, it's scary. But guess what? I'm fine. I'm totally fine. I used to wake up in the middle of the night with my ears bleeding or my nose bleeding. Or, um, really? Yeah. Yeah. All the time as a kid. Like, or even now I'll wake up with like a huge scratch on the back of my shoulder. Could be nothing. Could be I just scratched myself moving. But it's very strange that it always happens. But um, a lot of stuff has has freaked me out and um, none of it has actually hurt me. And so it's like the only thing to fear is fear itself is, is true in my mind, at least until I get hurt. <laughs> but, Wait, do you tell them that part? <laughs> no, I don't mention that part. No. But I do teach them um, like visualizations, like, okay, you know, monsters don't like light. So you can visualize like a golden light being around you. And that actually like, in the world that you see, that's not a thing, but in your mind world, that light is real and it creates a protection bubble and um, they can't get through it. Um, or for my one daughter who's really freaked out because she's supposedly seen some um, uh, like shadow people come out of her heat vent and stand beside her bed and they take her up into the heat vent. Mm. Um, for her, we I put a webcam in her room that's pointed at the heat vent. I'm like, monsters don't like to be on camera. So, nice. and this camera has night vision, like it can see everything. They're not going to come. And she hasn't had, she hasn't had a dream like that since I put the camera in there. I kind of try to teach them like coping strategies and ways of looking at the world instead of just saying like, you know, there are no monsters. Um, I would like to keep their minds more open than just saying, you know, that's not a thing. <laughs> My wife says that's not a thing and that's, you know, fine. But I just say, if there are monsters, like knowing how to, Visualize a protection bubble is handy or having a camera or having, you know, your rosary or whatever, anything that makes you feel stronger or safer can, can help. Yeah. I love that. Um, you know, it sounds like you're providing a toolkit for your kids in order to deal with many of the things that they will inevitably face mm-hmm. in life. And um, I'm just curious, and maybe it's a little bit more serious, but when you were growing up, do you recall a particularly challenging phase in your life and how you navigated it? Yeah, it wasn't good. <laughs> well, I was not good at it. So I got bullied a lot as far back as I can remember. I've always been like a bit overweight. And so there were some guys on the school bus that were just like, one guy in particular was relentless about it. And like, 
it was just painful, right? Like I'd, I'd get stomach issues every day before the school bus came. So I, I couldn't get out to the school bus or sometimes my parents would force me to anyway. So I'd have to ride the school bus. I'm like, he'd be rousing me the whole way to school and stuff. And I remember just getting to the point where I was like, that's it. Like, I can't handle this anymore. And my grandpa was, um, he was a hunter, fisherman, um, you know, sportsman slash gangster. Um, but anyway, he had taught me how to do all this stuff. So one day I just took a knife to school. I had it in my pocket. It was actually like a thing that, like, it kind of looks like, it's like brass knuckles. It was like a T-shape that goes between these two fingers and then a triangular blade right here. Pretty scary thing. But so I had it in my hand in my pocket with that thing in it when I was walking to school um, from the bus. And this was actually in grade nine, I think, because it was at high school. Um, but he had bugged me all through grade school, too. And um, I was like, if he bugs me again today, like, I'm, he's going to get punched with this and I'm going to go to jail, whatever. Because I didn't know how to cope with it. I didn't have tools other than my dad teaching me, like, how to punch. But this guy was way stronger than me. Like, I knew I could not take this guy with a punch. Um, and it should have probably spoken with teachers or anybody really. But, um, at this point in my life, like now, currently, I don't really believe in coincidences anymore, but at the time mm -hmm. I thought it was a coincidence. Um, yeah, I got to school and I was walking in with this thing and there were police everywhere. And it turned out that this guy who bullies me had just put somebody's head through, a, through a glass door. Wow. And they arrested him and took him off and put him in juvenile hall and never saw him again. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. What are the chances? Right? I mean, it's really a scientific event. I mean, like, you know, you're you're driven to that point where you're prepared to bring a knife in. I mean, I can't imagine the suffering. And I just want to commend you for being courageous to share that intimate um, tale and how you navigated it. But... When you said you don't believe in coincidences, I mean, what are the chances of that, yeah. right? What I believe it is, as opposed to coincidence, is I was, I think, attracting the help that I needed. And it's like, you know, if you're praying to God, it, you're just asking, please help me somehow. You don't know what form it's going to come in. And some people would say, oh, it's a miracle that, you know, that this happened. Um, and God works in mysterious ways. I don't talk about God so much. I think more in terms of like the universe or um, sort of an all pervasive consciousness. Um, and yeah, maybe it attracted those people to get into a confrontation before I got there. Right. Yeah. And they weren't sure that it, how it was going to pan out, but like, hopefully it would be beneficial to me or yeah, it, it was intense. And as a consequence of that and, and, other stressful times, you know, I really try and talk to my daughters a lot and ask them how their day was and what's going on. And if something's bothering them, I kind of won't give up until they let me know what's bothering them because I want to help them, you know, as soon as I can, if anything is going on. And my daughter's in grade two now. So when she was in SK, she was getting bullied at her school. Um, and we found that out only by prying, like at the dinner table. And we let her teacher know, and her teacher, like, called all the kids into the office, called their parents, like, she went full nuclear, like, right away. And it was resolved within, like, 12 hours. Like, it was amazing. So it was really cool to, to experience that and see 
you know, how we could just make her life a lot less stressful, like basically through one call, but only because we had done all the talking necessary to, to find out what's wrong. Well, um, again, thank you for sharing that and just kind of, yeah, talking through the tools that you, you give your kids and also what can be changed when you just openly talk about it to the right people. So as we're, as we're coming, you know, with, to our last few questions, I'm going to try to change the mood a little. Yeah. My question is, um, can you describe a recent incident or observation that made you smile or maybe reflect on the beauty of life? I mean, with, with two little kids, those things happen all the time, which is so great. I mean, we just got a kitten about a month ago. And so we've had an old cat for a long time. Like she's like 16. Um, so long before my kids were born. And so I think she's been um, just basically in sleep mode, like for their whole lives. Like she's not an exciting cat to have. So they're just like, <laughs> Oh yeah, there's Sammy sleeping in the sun again. Right. Um, but this kitten is a total spaz and like they're loving just seeing how uh, we named it moon because we got, we got him on a Monday, which is named after the moon, moon day. Um, and he's got black and white coloring and the moon has a dark side and a light side. That was my idea, but they all liked it. You know, seeing them for the first time in their lives need to interact with an animal on a regular basis. And like, Claire's like, Oh, can I clean the litter box? I'm like, yes. <laughs> um, or like they want to feed it or they want to pet it or have it sleep with them or, um, unfortunately he, he broke his paw like a week after we got him because oh. we have a steel fire door that automatically closes and he was just <laughs> running and like saw the door closing and put his paws in to be like, I'm going to stop it from closing. And no, you're not like you're yeah. tiny and that door is very heavy. So it broke two bones in his paw and he's got a cast on. So you hear him <laughs> running through the house, like click, 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 click. It's like a pirate run, a peg leg run. Um, <laughs> And it's hilarious, and like, um, it didn't slow him down one bit. Like he's he's still just loving it, yeah. and yeah. So seeing them interact with that kitten every day is is a gift for sure. Oh, that's awesome! And I love how resilient, um, like young animals are. Yeah. You know, it's a beautiful acceptance. Um, of whatever the moment brings, right? And I think uh, humans, we can really learn a lot from something like that. It's it's really, we're going with the flow here. Peg leg, no peg leg, yeah. you know, uh, life is, and this is reality. And 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 so I love that. Um, Derek, you know, just as we're concluding, you've, you're a fascinating guy. You've had a wealth of stories here that to be honest, each one needs days to unpack. So I have to ask this, is there a piece of advice that you'd give to our listeners or perhaps a personal story or something that you would like to, to share and, and leave us with? I'll say that going with the flow as opposed to trying to control everything um, mm -hmm. has usually led to better outcomes in my life. I could give two quick examples. Um, for one, my buddy decided to have his wedding as a destination wedding in Victoria, uh, British Columbia in Canada. So I flew out there and for his bachelor party, he's like, okay, let's meet by this breakfast place. We'll have breakfast and then we'll figure out what to do. And we're like, <laughs> sounds great, <laughs> right? Um, but so we had breakfast, we go outside, we're sitting on this bench 
We're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Um, and this girl driving like a VW minibus, total like Victoria hippie, right? She pulls up and she's like, hey, you guys looking for something to do? We're like, <laughs> yeah. She's like, I'm going out to the cliff diving uh, at the potholes if you want to come. We're like, yeah, cliff diving. <laughs> so we just piled in her minibus and went out there. And like, you know, half hour later, we're like uh, jumping off this cliff 40 feet into ice cold mountain water. Like, I did break my wrist doing that. But um, other than that, it was like super fun. <laughs> and then I had to try and be in his wedding with a huge cast on my arm that didn't really fit in the tux. I missed the rehearsal because I was getting a cast put on. Yeah, it was, you know, it made for a good story. <laughs> but um, also, uh, I've I've toured around Europe twice. Once with a friend who was like, let's just go and see what happens. Once with a friend who was like, let's plan it all out. Guess which one was like way more fun? <laughs> no plans, because if you bump into somebody, you don't have to say like, oh, I, I got to go catch my bus or my train or whatever. You can sit there, yeah. let the conversation pan out. You might find you have something in common. And then once the other person realizes like, hey, these people are cool, um, that might turn into more things. Like they might say, Hey, we're going to do this tomorrow. Do you want to come? Right. When we got to Amsterdam, we basically were out of money. And so we're like sitting there in Amsterdam, just like, we can't do anything because we don't have any money. And this guy came into the hostel we were at and he was like, Hey, can I sit with you guys? And we're like, yeah, sure. Like we just chatted for a bit and got along and he got up and left. And I think we went around and walked around or whatever for a while. And there are some very fancy places there, like super fancy restaurants in the main square and stuff. And later that night, uh, around dinner time, I think he came back to the hostel and we're kind of still like we had sat back in the same place. And he's like, you guys hungry? We're like, yeah, but we don't <laughs> really have money for, for anything extravagant. He's like, I'm buying. Like, let's go. We're like, oh, okay. So he literally took us out to the main square to this like most expensive restaurant. And he's like, here, have a seat. And we're like, dude, you can't pay for this. And he's like, don't worry about it. And he just said, like, the waitress comes over and he's like, bring, him, bring me your biggest bottle of champagne. And she's like, seriously? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, I just need to check your credit card first before I uncork. He's like, okay. And she's like, yep, checks out. And she comes out with, like, it's like this tall of champagne. It's humongous. It had to be like eight liters of champagne. And we're just like, what the hell? And then we ordered like all these dishes and we're like, how can you do this, man? You're just like, you're like 22 years old. Like what's the heck? And he's like, Oh, um, I bet my life savings on a soccer match earlier today and my team won. So I'm like rich. Yeah. So he was just like, whatever you guys want, like, Oh, <laughs> I'll pay for everything. Like we just totally partied with him for the couple of days we were in Amsterdam. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, totally. That's hilarious. Nice timing. That's yeah. I, I feel like somewhere, you know, we we in our questions that we think about, we totally have questions about like serendipity and just kind of being in the right place at the right time. We didn't ask you, but you have tons of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and those uh, only happen when you're following your gut. I think. Yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah. No, I totally 
like, I mean, even earlier in the conversation, just being open, open to things and going with the flow with the exception of the broken wrist. That one didn't sound great, but it's like a fun experience before that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I had a rule. Well, I still have a rule, but it's just a lot harder to follow with kids. Um, which is that, uh, if you have a decision, like if somebody does, like invites you to do something, like just default to saying yes, if it will make a good story. Nice. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, because who doesn't want more good stories, right? So, so yeah, let's go. I love that. So that's a perfect point to end. Not, I don't want to, but we're going to end our first uh, of our storyteller series with Derek Martin. Um, Derek, I thought I knew you, um, but I feel like I've learned so much more about your life and your experiences. It was awesome to talk to you. I always enjoy a chance, so we'll have to do it again soon. But thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. My pleasure, Carrie. And great to meet you too before. And um, yeah, I hope to chat with you again sometime. Absolutely, Derek. It's been a blast. And to be honest, I'd love to unpack some of those stories with you at another stage. Um, there's so much there. I mean, my head is literally spinning after this episode. I'm not sure I'm going to go outside today because I need to contemplate my life. Thank you, Derek. Um, you're a brilliant guy. And uh, it'll be a pleasure to have you on the podcast again. Oh, it'll be my pleasure to Like, I'm not going to lie, Derek, for a second. <laughs> I honestly thought you were going to tell me. And then I went to jail and I did this other stuff, which like I wouldn't hold a game. I was like, man, he's done a lot of things I didn't know about. <laughs> I didn't go to jail. Yeah. I did walk across a minefield in Bosnia. Um, <laughs> I did see ghosts and I have done a lot of uh, looking for Bigfoot. And, okay. uh, and I may have encountered a werewolf on that show. What the heck, man? You can't just say <laughs> things like that. This trailer, for, <laughs> this trailer for the second episode that we have. <laughs> <laughs>